Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Quartz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. It's um, 8 p.m. on the other side of the world. On Sunday, in a nation called Afghanistan, a nation in which some 2,000 people form the body of Christ. They are 40 or younger in the main. I wonder how they're doing right now. We have reports that already their pastors have received notice from the Taliban that they know where they are, they know what they're doing. Homes have been raided and Bibles and literature taken. There have been reports that Young Christian girls have been taken from their families. And today is the Lord's Day, and I wonder how they're doing. Our brothers, our sisters in Christ. In recent years, the uh, church has really grown, and uh, they've become more and more bold in their witness to Jesus. In the last 24 months or so, many of them changed the registration on their ID cards to reflect that their religious affiliation was Christian. In July, several churches registered themselves with the government. Why? as a way of bearing witness to Christ and their commitment to him. No doubt now the Taliban has all that information and knows who belongs to Jesus 
been thinking a lot about them through the week. Been thinking a lot about us too. Knowing I'm preaching today on spiritual warfare and victory and what that requires. It's made it all the more significant, I think. They're looking into a future where they are under dire threat. Already the price for following Jesus has begun to be paid. Not I see us in our air-conditioned building, free to come here, free not to. Free to sing, free to carry a Bible, free to read our Bibles, free to have 20 Bibles in our home. the word of life and they can't have it we have so many of them we we can hardly keep up with them but wonder how much we read them their hearts and minds are fixed on Issues of life and death and the safety of their children, especially their daughters. And we're all twisted up over masks. And I'll grant you, our culture is sideways sometimes, and sometimes it's upside down, and sometimes it's... I feel like, I don't know about you, I'm on a tilt-a-whirl that won't stop. But this is not Afghanistan. And we have problems, but not as big as we think. Because I'm not worried about the Forsyth County deputies bursting through the door here or whether my daughters are safe. It just puts things into perspective. We have a, a real need and an opportunity to pray for them right now. We're not there, but we are there because they're family. 
Chances are pretty good that there's somebody your age who knows Jesus right now, who's living in Afghanistan, who loves Jesus, has a wife like you do or a husband like you do and kids like you do. There's a very good chance there's a single like you in Afghanistan facing this by herself or by himself. And we need to pray for them just like we would want them to pray for us. That's true, but um, I think we also need to be praying for ourselves. Because I'm not sure that we're making the most of what we do have because we're radically distracted by all the stuff we don't have, can't have, think we should have. It is really indeed time to pray and time to pray for their victory. But you know what? I don't want to do that right now because right now we really don't know how to do that. And uh, as I've prepped this message, it just, it all makes sense to me now. So let's figure out how to pray for them and how to pray for us. Let's talk about what victory actually looks like in the midst of the real battle that you and I and they are actually in. So take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to look together at verses 10 through 13, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. Paul is writing and uh, he comes to this portion of the scripture after he's already spent time about three chapters worth from, from 4.1 to this very section, this, the last uh, major section in the, in the book of Ephesians before he signs off. He's already spent a great deal of time talking to the Ephesians about how to live a life worthy of Jesus, how to walk worthy of Christ. He spends the first three chapters talking about what Christ has done the remaining chapters, he, he talks about what we should do with what Christ has done, how we should actually live. And what he, what he does is he basically says to the Ephesians, he says, it's going to be harder than you think. That this is not an easy thing. And then he wraps it up. He kind of lands the plane by taking them to this whole matter of spiritual warfare. You're going to have problems. You're going to have troubles. You're going to have difficulties. But, oh, yes, and by the way, you're going to be constantly under attack. There's always going to be the threat of a spiritual assault on your life. That's, that's the Christian life. Welcome to the Christian life. 
When you sign up to follow Jesus, you also sign up to fight. You are in a battle. You are in a war. And before I leave you, Paul says effectively, I want to show you how to have and find victory. And so he says, Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, over this present world system, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. The goal, Paul says, for you as a follower of Jesus, Ephesians, is no matter what comes your way, no matter what attacks you experience, your goal, this is your win. This is how you define your win. This is how you define success in the Christian life. You stand firm, unmoved, steadfast. You stand. You stand. You stand. Now, Father God, as we gather around your word this morning, we gladly acknowledge you that you are the Lord God, that you are God Almighty, that you are for your people, their refuge, their fortress. That you are for them that safe place. We thank you, Father God, that you fight for your people. We've seen you fight for us in the life and the death and the resurrection of your son. We know you are for us and not against us. You've shown it, you've proven it to us, and we're so grateful for that. You are the God who holds us up so that we don't fall down. You are the God who strengthens us so that we are able to stand and withstand and resist. You're the God who equips us so that even in the midst of battle, the wounds we suffer are never permanent. For all of this, we're grateful. For all of this, we're grateful. For it means for us victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. So Paul is unpacking here what it means to be living in this world with all kinds of supernatural enemies at work against us. And what he does here in this passage is he prescribes as a means of spiritual victory certain methods that believers need to use in order to face their personal supernatural enemy. This enemy who uses and directs the world, 
and leverages their own flesh as allies in his schemes to defeat God by defeating them. And today, what I want us to see together is I want us to see the four choices the believers can make and must make if they're going to live undefeated, if they're going to live useful lives for the master. Now, I'm not a prophet or a son of a prophet, but I will tell you that in the first service, they only got the first three points. They didn't get the four points. And I'm guessing you're going to get the three points and not the four points, but I'm going to give you all four points just in case you need the fourth point. I'll give it to you, but I can't promise you I will unpack it. Is that good? All right. So we're going to go. And we're going to keep going until we're done. Does that sound like a plan? And when we're done, then we'll be done. That, how's that sound? All right, good. I, I like that spirit. Let's go. So there are four choices the believers can make and must make if they're going to live undefeated, useful lives for the master. And in verses 10 to 13, we see what those are. He says, be strong. He says, be faithful. Be wise. Be prepared. If you're going to make it in this life and you're going to live in victory, be strong, be faithful, be wise, be prepared. Now let's unpack each of these and see the choices that are attached to them so that we can understand the methods that we've got to employ if we're going to live in victory and stay useful to the master in a world where we've got an enemy who is a personal enemy, a supernatural enemy, who is very powerful and is working all the time everywhere to undo us, undo our families, undo our marriages, undo our witness, undo, 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 destroy, destroy, destroy. All right, let's look. First of all, he says, be strong. Verse 10. Finally, he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now, that, that all makes sense. It, to win a battle, of course, one needs strength. One needs power. And this isn't the first time we've heard this command. And this is a command. It is a very direct command. You be strong. You be strong. If you think back to the Old Testament, for example, when Joshua was just getting started and he had been called to succeed Moses and called to lead the people finally into the promised land, a promised land full of enemies and battles to fight, God had to say to Joshua himself personally three times, be strong, be strong, be strong. Be strong, Joshua. I want you to notice then that Paul says the very same thing, but, but don't miss the fact, and this is vital for us, notice how he postures this command, how he actually presents it. He says, be strong, and what's the next, the next phrase? Be strong in the Lord, which is a world away from saying, be strong in yourself. And what Paul is intimating is that there is a power to which believers have direct access there is a power available to every believer in the midst of their struggle that, that uh, is ready and waiting for them. It is the power that the Lord Jesus has. It is a great or a mighty power, Paul says. And so Paul pleads with believers essentially to choose to be strong. Now watch this. In the only way that counts. And that is to be strong in the strength that the Lord provides. 
His goal in, in offering and issuing this command is an absolute dependence on the Lord in the fight. From the beginning of it to the very end. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. One of the greatest words I can speak to you in the midst of your trouble, if you were a believer, is to look you dead in the eyes and say to you, my brother and my sister, be strong in the Lord. Find your strength in the Lord. Find your courage in the Lord. Don't go anywhere else for strength or power. Don't look anywhere else. Just be strong in the Lord. Now, notice with me exactly what the scripture is saying here. Be strong ought to be understood as be made strong. Uh, uh, receive strength from outside yourself. It means seek and present yourself to receive something that's already available to you, already yours. Seek it, find it, present yourself, receive it. See, Paul knows a couple of things that believers must never forget. First, he knows that God's own power is precisely what believers have available to them in Christ or in union with Christ. His power is precisely, not, not a miniature version of it, God's power is available to God's people in Christ Jesus through their union with him. In union with Christ, believers participate. We've talked about this. When I come to faith in Christ, my life comes to be joined with his, so much so that I'm able to say that when, when Christ lived, I lived. When Christ died, I died. When Christ was raised, I was raised. When Christ was exalted, I was exalted. That's why Paul says, you've been seated now in the heavenlies with Christ. You're with him. That's why Paul says when he was crucified, you were crucified. When he was raised, you were raised. Your life is that intimately related to his. And that, by the way, is the reason why we're able to say things like Paul says in Romans 8, that we are uh, in all the things that happen to us, the troubles, the hardships, the difficulties, the attacks, we are more than conquerors uh, in Christ Jesus who loved us. We are more than conquerors. That's why we're able to say that. We conquered with him. He conquered for us and then gave that victory to us. He conquered, we conquered with him when he lived, died, and was raised and exalted. He's coming again. We, we've got a past victory. We've got a future victory because one day he's coming back for us and his reign will be established around the world and we will reign with him. There is a victory we've experienced in the past, set free from our sins, made whole, made new because of what Christ did. But there is a victory still coming when Christ will be seen and known as Lord of all. So we have a victory past, we have a victory present, but uh, future. But Paul says we also have a victory present. I, I love the way he puts it. He didn't say, in all these things, we have been more than conquerors. And he doesn't say, in all these things, we will be more than conquerors. He says, in all these things, we are now more than conquerors. And it's powerful because it challenges this this gap that you and I tend to imagine that is okay, this gap between what God says we are and how we're actually living. 
this, the gap this, between being a, a conqueror, one who's seeing victory over flesh and or victory over the influence of the world and victory over the attacks of, of Satan who lies to us, deceives us, uh, preys on all of our weaknesses, entices us to sin. We have this gap, we have this gap, we have this gap. And for a lot of us, we've explained it this way. We'll say, well, I, I can't do it now, but one day Jesus is coming back for me and then it's all going to be fixed. Amen. It's true, but it's even more true that Jesus has already given me victory here and now. I just got to know how to access it. There is a real power, the very power of God accessible to me right here, right now to deal with my enemies. I want you to notice with me, secondly, the power available to believers from Christ, what, what Paul calls at the end of that verse, the strength of his might, is a boundless power. It's helpful if you've got your Bibles, turn to uh, Ephesians 1, 19 and 20. It's helpful to note you find this very same phrase, the strength of his might, used there to describe the, the same power that brought about the victory of Jesus over death and the devil in his resurrection and his exaltation. This power that is available to believers from Christ is boundless and it is the very same power that Jesus used to win us the victory past. It's the same power that he will use to bring us victory future. It is the same power by which we can live in victory now. But this power is something that needs to be known and trusted and chosen again and again and again if a believer is going to have victory. You'll notice too in chapter one, I think it's in verse nine, but Paul confesses that he prays continually that the Ephesians would know more and more the greatness of this resurrecting and exalting power that God has for them now in Christ. God's power is present and more than abundant for his people, not just in the past, not just in the future, right here, right now. All that we need and more God has and has provided in Christ. We need to know that. Paul prayed for that. But it's also something that we need to practice. Through our union with Christ and by the habit of abiding in Christ, we, we've got to choose to keep living using the power that is not natural to us or, or, or it doesn't come from us, but is necessarily there by God's grace. You see, when, I, when I'm living in my relationships and I've got a person that I find it hard to love, I've got to rest in the power of God available to me to be able to love them. I've got to believe that power is there. I've got to believe that it's not up to me somehow to conjure up love. I... I if I'm going to make it in this life, if I'm going to survive and be useful to my master then part of what Paul is saying is that as we live our lives, even when we're not under a, an obvious direct attack, we need to be living right here, right now, in the power that God has for us to do even the smallest things. Listen, if you can't do the small things with the power God gives you, what makes you think you're going to be able to fight the big fights when they come? 
And so what Paul is saying is, look, 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 there is this mighty power. You need to tap into it. You can tap into it. It is available to you. I'm challenging you to use it. You are more than conquerors in Christ. Sometimes it's as simple as, as finding a kind thing to do for someone who has been so unkind to you. And you say, I can't do that. No, you're right. You're right. You can't. Absolutely right. Amen. You can't do it. Don't even try. But let Jesus do it through you. Come on now. Somebody say amen. That was all you got? Seriously, that was it? Okay, well, I love you. You know, in the power that God gives me, I'm going to love you. There you go. See there? Good. I'm loving you more. You're making it easier. Um, love has got to be known and understood. The, the power has got to be known and understood, and then it's got to be practiced. It's got to be used. I, let, me, let me just say this one more time. I, I want to drill this down. If you can't do it in the little things, you won't have it in the big fights. Do not wait until your mother and father's dying at, at Forsyth Memorial. I'm showing my age. Novant. And Satan whispers in your ear, where's God? <laughs> Don't wait till your dad dies. If you haven't practiced living with his strength, you're not going to be strong enough in that moment. And Satan will knock you down. So Paul is calling the Ephesian believers to live in this radical dependence on God before and during the battles they'll face. He's, he's not calling them to dig down deep to find strength in themselves because here's the reality. There is not enough strength in us to defeat the enemy who is always working against us. By ourselves, we can't prevail. Paul is calling on believers to know and trust the presence and extent of the power of God available to them. And let me say this to you, just by way of personal experience, what I have learned in my life is the more I live in the power of God, the more I practice living in the power of God, the more I see of his power and the greater then I'm able to trust in that power. I see the practice makes the strength grow stronger in me. Does that make sense? It's a little bit like working out. Okay. So, the power available to believers from Christ is available and boundless, but it's got to be known. It's got to be trusted. It's got to be chosen again and again and again. Every morning when I get up, I've got to choose to say, and I've got to say, Lord God, today I'm living strong in your power. Lord, today I'm living strong in your power. 
It's not by human might. It's not by human strength, but it's by your spirit. Today, Lord God, I live in and by your power. How do you do that? You know, I could, I, could, I could just shut it down right here and you all be thrilled and, and you go home, but I haven't told you how to do that. You said, be strong, okay? I live in his power, okay? How do I do that? I mean, how do I actually take this home and do this with my kids? You know, live in God's power. And how do I do this with the, with the boss I've got and the job I have and this crazy tilt-a-whirl culture we're living in? How do I, how do, I do that? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Look at verse 11. Paul says, put on. Here's how you do it. You put on the whole armor of God. All right, so what does that mean? All right, let's unpack it. The whole armor of God means the armor that God provides. If you got your Bible open, make a little mark there. That's what that means. The whole armor of God is all the armor God provides. All the armor God provides. Put that on. The way to be strong is to put God's armor on, the armor that God gives to his children. See, as a part of depending on Christ and as a part of our union with him and, and, and our union with his power, believers must choose to use certain divine provisions that offer them power and protection for the fight. These provisions are gifts from God in Christ. And the way Paul gathers them up is he puts them into a, uh, he uses a word picture, he uses a military metaphor to say, there are things God has given you, you need to use. And since we're talking about a struggle, since we're talking about a battle, I'm gonna call it, uh, I'm gonna call it armor, the armor of God. Now, armor, of course, was both the equipment that uh, uh, ancient soldiers wore and the stuff they carried. Later, and look in verses 14 to 18 of, of this chapter, he'll go into greater detail as to what this armor of God includes and involves. And we're going to go through that, but not today. But here, Paul simply calls on believers to put this armor on, and then he gives them a reason that they need it. This is the only way, he's saying, to access God's power and God's protection and to reach the goal that every believer has in the midst of battle, to stand, to stand, to stand, to resist, to be unmovable in the midst of the fight. It's the only way to win. The practice of being strong involves the practice of putting the armor on. So that leads us to the question, okay, so what kind of armor is this armor of God that believers are to take and put on and use? Well, Paul lists it for us in verses 14 to 18, but he shows us it has to do with things like this. Truth, righteousness, the gospel, faith, salvation, the word, prayer. These are actually the things that believers are to put on like armor. This is another way of saying something he's already said in chapter four, verse 24, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So putting on the new self in Christ is putting on the armor of God. Putting on the armor of God is putting on the new self. 
it is gearing up again and again with truth, with righteousness, with the gospel, with faith, with salvation, with the word, with prayer. That is where prayer and strength to stand in the battle are always gained. And so a believer who is intent on living in victory is a, is a person who gets up every morning and gears up. You got to get up. You got to gear up. You got to say, I am am by God's grace, God helping me, God giving me the strength. I am going to live this day by truth. I'm going to live this day in righteousness. I'm going to live this day out of the gospel truths, those things that Christ has done for me. I'm going to live by faith. I'm going to live resting that I'm saved and no one can take that from me. I'm going to live today in the word of God. I'm going to live taking in the word of God. I'm going to live out the word of God and I'm going to live live constantly in prayer. God helping me, God helping me, not me helping me, God helping me. I'm going to live in the truth Christ has given me, the righteousness Christ has given me, the gospel Christ has won for me, the faith Christ has given me, the salvation that Christ has made real for me, the word that Christ is for me, and the prayer that Christ makes possible for me. I am going to live my life with my armor on. This is where power is found. This is where I'm I'm able to stand and say, look, 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 look. I don't know any given morning what's going to happen that day. I have no idea, neither do you. I have no idea what's going to happen this week. Neither do you. I have no idea what's coming at me. I, don't, I have no idea what my father is going to allow to cross my path this week. You know, he does allow hard things to cross our paths so that we can learn. Verse 10. Did you already forget it? Go back and look again. He wants you to learn verse 10. You're not looking, are you? Be strong in the Lord. He sends us hard things so that we will learn that we are not enough and he is more than enough. And if we're going to make it, we've got to have his power. So he, he sends those things. I don't know what he's going to allow in my life this week. You don't know either. But here's what I do know. That if I will live intentionally, putting on the armor Christ has provided for me, it isn't going to be easy because no fight is. But if I put that armor on, I will stand and not fall. I will stand. I will not fall. God helping me. God enabling me. So when a believer knows who they are in Christ when they know what they have in Christ, when they know that they are a new man or a new woman that Christ has has made new, when they cultivate the character qualities of Jesus using the Holy Spirit resources present in them, they are putting on the whole armor of God. They are ready for battle. They have power when all that Jesus is is what they're aiming for daily. 
when all that Jesus is is what they're aiming to be. You know what real victory is in this life? Real victory is standing and staying like Jesus through the greatest fights and struggles of life. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get real here. You may not like this. You may say, I don't like that. I don't like that kind of Christianity. Well, okay, but this is the real deal, so I'm going to lay it out there for you. Real victory over cancer is not defeating cancer. Real victory is being Jesus through cancer. That's real victory. It's looking like Jesus, loving like Jesus, living like Jesus. When someone slanders me, attacks me, that's victory. It's not seeing the slander reversed. It's not seeing the slander corrected. It's not seeing it uh, fixed all the way across the, 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 the territory of my life. No, 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 no. It's me carrying out and living the character qualities of Jesus being the new me in a really hard situation. You know what victory is for our Afghan brothers and sisters? It's not living to see another day. It's living like Jesus. That's my victory. So there's some important lessons here. Y'all are in trouble because I don't even think you're going to get the third point. There are a couple of important lessons here. First is that God's power and protection aren't automatic. They require our participation. We got to put the armor on. Second lesson is that you need all the armor God has to give all the time. How many of you ride motorcycles? Motorcycles, any motorcycles, anybody? One, two, three, any more, any more, any more. Any of you like to ride motorcycle? Yep, I thought so. Ah, oh, some, some young ladies would like to ride. Oh, okay. Interesting. Well, my wife got me a motorcycle for my birthday. I'd never owned one before. And she got me this wee little motorcycle. It's a Harley Davidson Super Dynaglide Custom. Just a wee little wee little bike. I looked at that thing and I knew I loved it and I also knew I was in deep trouble because I've never ridden. So anyway, I'll tell you more about that later, but I, I went and took a class and one of the fundamental rules 
they, they taught us is at GAT, which is all the gear all the time. I have one guy at last service who rides in his flip-flops. I said, mm, Lord bless you and keep you. You're going to lose your foot. But um, I know I'll get some emails over that. But as for me and my house, when we ride, we, we ride all geared up because, well, you know, I'm, I, yeah, it's just better. And, um, but what they tell you is you never know what's going to happen. You never know. How many of you drive cars? You're known as cagers. Uh, you never know when a cager is going to pull into your lane or turn left on you or whatever. You just never, never do know. Uh, what they're going to do. So you've always got to be prepared, all the gear, all the time. Do you notice what Paul says there? Take on part of the armor of God. You're going to be okay? No, he says the whole armor. Tell me, what good is it if, you, if you've got your helmet but you haven't got your sword? What, what, what good is it if you've got your sword but you don't have your shield? And so Paul is saying, when you live your life, live with all your gear all the time. Put it on. Leave it on. All that you need for battle and for victory, all of that God has given you, all the power, all the strength, all the protection. He's already supplied it in Jesus. He is your truth, your righteousness, your gospel, your faith, your salvation, your word from God. He is your right to pray. Put it on every day. Agat, all the gear, all the time. That's the only way you'll live winning. Well, I am going to hurry. Here we go. Thirdly, he says, be wise, be wise, be wise, be wise. Be wise, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, Paul gives another reason for putting on the armor God gives. The enemies that believers face are not human, but supernatural. His goal here is to remind believers of who their personal enemy is and why God's power and protection are so badly needed. Now, go back to the Old Testament illustration I used. Here's the difference between Joshua and you and me. The, the call to be strong was in the face of some real physical flesh and blood enemies that Israel was facing. The call that we've got in Ephesians 6 is, is the same call, but the warning is that the enemy you have is not like you. The enemy you have is not like you. The enemy you have is not you. The enemy you have is not the person who lives in your house. The enemy you have is not the person who goes to your school. The enemy you have is not the person who lives in your neighborhood. The enemy you have is not that political party. The enemy you have is not that person in government. The, the enemy you have is not flesh and blood. The enemy, the real enemy you have is smarter than you, stronger than you, more capable than you. He's supernatural. We face far more powerful opponents, greater enemies than any human ones we might encounter. They're known for well-planned attacks on believers and their churches. Their schemes are powerful. They're more cunning. Their power is a supernatural power. Their presence is everywhere. They're always at work. 
And in that kind of environment, believers need God's power. You see, a wise man, he's calling for wisdom. A wise man or woman lives his or her life knowing that it takes God's power to defeat God's enemies. Every other power available to us is going to fail. If they don't have it, they won't be able to stand against the strategies or the plans of the evil one. Notice that Paul does something more in verse 12. He moves quickly to correct a persistent error that Christians make. They get into battle with the wrong enemies. Paul knows how easily believers in the midst of battle can confuse the real enemy with the people who are under his control. The devil's plans or schemes are expansive. They come from many places, temptation, physical trials, persecution, successes, failures, and yes, his attacks come through people. But here we have to be especially careful. For a lot of reasons, it's easy for believers to think of other people as, as uh, their enemies. It's easy to see our struggle as being, our wrestling as being with people and what they say and what they do and how what they say and do affects us, how they scheme. But oh no, no. Paul calls on the Ephesians and he calls on us to look for the real enemy behind the enemies we face. See, the battle for a believer is a spiritual one. The Ephesians shouldn't confuse their fight as one against Roman rule or with any local rulers who are persecuting them or trying to harm them. There's something more behind Roman aggression and brutality. American believers shouldn't consider their fight as one against a shifting culture or an increasingly untrustworthy government or governmental system open to abuse. They shouldn't consider their fight to be with the elites of our nation or with any state or local rulers who might oppose us or disregard us. Why? Because there's more behind all of this. Our Afghan brothers and sisters, their real enemy is not the Taliban. Their real enemy is the same enemy we have. It is, a, it is Satan who hates us with a vicious hatred because he hates the God we love and the Christ we serve. You've got to look behind your enemies to see your enemy. We've got to be wise, wise as serpents and innocent as doves with these people that attack us, but we must be wise enough to look for the real enemy behind the enemies we face. There are rulers, there are authorities behind every expression of darkness, everyone. That kingdom from which every true believer has been liberated but can still succumb. So Paul says effectively, if you fight, with flesh and blood people, you're fighting the wrong foes. You're never going to win. You, you, we didn't read this passage, but you read down a little farther. Uh, Paul describes Satan as, as sending fiery darts. You may be familiar with the passage. I love what someone has said. They said, the people who attack believers that we tend to fight against are more like fiery darts. 
And so people can be darts. Have you ever had somebody who was a dart to you, a fiery dart to you? Anybody? Anybody? Not many? Oh, my word. Bring back the coffee, please. Anybody had somebody be like a fiery dart to them? Anybody, just anybody. All right, good. How many of you have been a fiery dart? Yes. Whoa, this is scary. We have more people willing to admit they have been fiery darts than will admit they have had fiery darts thrown at them. This is a scary congregation. All right. Well, oh my goodness. My inbox will be full in my email when I get out. Uh, all right, so anyway, someone has said, you need to see those people who attack you as fiery darts. And you need to think through what you do with them before you do anything. You can spend your time trying to break the fiery darts that are thrown at you. But guess what happens while you're trying to break the darts that have come at you? I'll show you, I'll get you back, I'll. The one who's throwing them just throws more while you're trying to break the ones he's already thrown. It is a recipe for defeat. You'll never win if you are not wise. Now, I'm still learning this one. It's very easy to see those people who come against you as the devil. <laughs> It's very easy to give them back what they've given to you. It's kind of what we do in the flesh. It's what Satan wants us to do. But when you're able to take a step back and remember what a dart is and who throws them, that's when you begin to find victory. They can't hurt you quite as much. Be wise. Your battle is with the source of those darts, not with the darts. So let's imagine just for a moment as we wrap things up that you're one of the 2,000 in Afghanistan tonight. And chances are really good that somebody your age and at your stage of life who loves Jesus and bears his name is there. You're a dad with young children, young daughters. You're a single woman. You're a Christian grandparent. You're a young woman. You're a young man. How would you want your brothers and sisters around the world to pray for you?
understanding what you understand now, chances are pretty good you would want them to pray. You would be strong. And the strength that only Jesus can give you. Strong when they raid your house. Strong to be Jesus when they take your children. Strong to be Jesus when they take your life. Strong. You would probably want your brothers and sisters to pray that you would be faithful, that you would be all geared up. And that regardless of what was happening to you, that you were taking on the righteousness of Christ and resting in your salvation and trusting in his word and praying faithfully. Chances are pretty good you would want them to pray that you would be wise so that in the midst of these extraordinary darts coming at you and your family, you would not come to have a heart of hatred but that you would be able to see the enemy behind your enemy. I want us to pray for them that way now. And by the way, I want us to pray for the same things for ourselves. If there's anything that we need right now in the church of Jesus Christ in these United States, on this crazy tilt a whirl we're on, are believers who don't cave, believers who don't fight the wrong enemies, believers who don't hide, but believers who know how to put their armor on and pray. Pray like prayer actually accomplishes things. We need to pray for ourselves. Make us strong. Make us faithful. Make us wise. Because if we are not in these United States with our air conditioning and our 20 Bibles and our nice cars and our comfortable lives and our safe kids, if we're not careful, we'll live with all these extras and we will live defeated. We'll be falling down. We won't be holding our ground. We will lose. And what is it we lose? The character of Jesus. <laughs> and the chance to advance his kingdom. All right.
Let's go to the Lord and pray. Three things. Strength. Faithfulness. Wisdom. Why don't you do this before you start? Why don't you pray for that Afghan believer who is just like you, a mother, your age, a husband, your age. Pray for them like you would want them to pray for you. Let's do it. Let's pray. Here we are, Lord God, on this Sunday, living in very confusing times, but none of what we're facing, nor none of what our family is facing in Afghanistan has taken you by surprise. Your call to us is the same. You call us to be filled with your spirit, full of Jesus and faithful. Staying strong in him, faithful to him, and wise about who our real enemies are. You've promised us in your word that when we are those things, then we are prepared and then we stand firm. And victory, real victory, true victory is ours. Forgive us, Lord God, for fighting the wrong fight. For fighting in our own strength. For mislabeling our enemies. For living defeated. Now, Lord God, in this room, there are men and women who have not experienced the gift of freedom that only Jesus can give. There are those who know the destruction that Satan can bring, the devastation, who have believed his lies and his encouragements that they are enough, they can make it, they can fight through it, they can solve anything that comes into their lives, they are more than enough, they, they will succeed, they can win, they will just have to try harder, be smarter. Lord God, for these I pray that you will grant them eyes to see the world as it really is and Christ as the Savior that he really is. 
and that all that you have for us broken sinners is more than enough. You have for us victory, new lives, new destinies, new purposes, and a new power to live. I pray for them that today would be the day, Lord God, they would come to you and say, I need you. I can't live this life on my own. I need the gift you've given of your son, of forgiveness for sin and of new life. I pray that today would be the day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kortz. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.